Welcome to Venus Envy, astrology so you can put your best face forward. My name is Angela Alston and I'll be your host. You can find me at AngelaAlstonAstrology.com as well as on YouTube at Angela Alston Astrology. This is the first episode and I'm coming at you from Portland, Oregon. So for the first episode, we're going to keep it simple today and go over the planetary placements and some of the astro highlights uh, on offer for us this week. So the week begins on Sunday, October 22nd at 12.01 a.m. and ends on Saturday, October 28th at 11.59 p.m. Portland, or Pacific Time. The sun begins the week in Libra, 28 degrees, 37 minutes, and travels to 5 degrees, 35 minutes, Scorpio. So this is the week that Scorpio season begins. The moon begins the week at 0 degrees, 32 minutes, Aquarius, and travels to 11 degrees, 23 minutes, Taurus. Mercury begins the week at 0 degrees, 0 minutes, Scorpio. It is ingressing into Scorpio as well as the sun, and then ends the week at 11 degrees, 24 minutes, Scorpio. Venus is in Virgo, starting the week at 12 degrees, 12 minutes, and ending at 19 degrees, 16 minutes. Mars is already in Scorpio, starting the week at 6 degrees, 52 minutes, ending at 11 degrees, 41 minutes. Jupiter is in Taurus, re-traveling 12 degrees to 6 minutes to 11 degrees, 10 minutes retrograde, and Saturn is in Pisces, retraveling 0 degrees 39 minutes to 0 degrees 32 minutes, also retrograde. I'm a traditional astrologer, and so I don't tend to look at the outer planets unless there's a compelling reason to do so. But some of the things I want to talk about this week is the Scorpio archetype, since Sun and Mercury are ingressing into Scorpio. The delicious Earth trine between the benefics, Jupiter and Venus, that starts the week, and then the partial lunar eclipse and the intense opposition between Mars, Mercury, and the Sun in Scorpio, opposing Moon and Jupiter in Taurus, which ends the week. So Scorpio season is among us. Scorpio is traditionally ruled by Mars in astrology and Pluto in uh, modern astrology. Scorpio is the feminine nocturnal domicile of Mars, whereas Aries is the masculine diurnal domicile of Mars of yeah of Mars what's the relationship between Aries and Scorpio is there one well Aries is a cardinal 
fire sign. It initiates the astrological new year. It's a bold sign, very hopeful, full of life, bursting with energy, and it tends to move through things very quickly. Scorpio, on the other hand, is fixed water. It holds things. Fixed water, things sink and are preserved in the, in the fertile mud. Still water can be divinatory, but it can also become poison. Energy, like water, it needs to move to stay fresh. It needs to be released, or it can become volcanic. Aries operates in the bright light of morning. It is on the open battleground. It has spear and shield. It is young energy. It is initiative. But it lacks the wisdom of death. Scorpio, it deals with the underground, the subtext. Rather than open warfare, it might have psychological warfare. Rather than the sword and the shield, it might work with different tools like manipulation, strategy, poison. Scorpio rules what happens in the dark. Scorpio's weapons are not man-made tools. They tend to be more monsters, the monstrous, and it is defensive rather than offensive. And to really understand the Scorpio archetype, you want to know not just about Mars, but about Pluto, the modern ruler. And to understand Pluto, you have to meet Hades. Pluto is the romanization of a more ancient Greek god, Hades. Hades was the eldest son of Titans Kronos, later Saturn, or as, as we know, uh, Saturn, and Rhea, a fertility goddess. He's the grandson of Uranus, the sky god. Hades has a famous family. His brothers are Zeus and Poseidon, Jupiter and Neptune, and his sisters are Demeter, Hera, and Hestia. Hades fought the Titans along with his brothers, Zeus and Poseidon, and they toppled them. Hades is a formidable warrior. The brothers, the conquering brothers, divided the world among them. Zeus got the skies, Poseidon got the seas, and Hades got the underworld. All of the dead and all of the riches below the soil. Hades, whose name roughly uh, translates to the hidden one, ruled the underground strictly, jealously guarding what was his. Very few souls ever escaped the underworld. There are a couple notable exceptions. But for the most part, once you got there, you stayed there. 
But Hades was not the god of death. That's the Natos. Hades is the lord of the underworld. He was not known for cruelty or sadism. He was known as an impassive, implacable ruler who maintained a balance, a very important balance, between the living and the dead. He maintained his boundaries. Now, the name Hades was hardly spoken by the ancient Greeks out of fear of gathering his attention. Epithets were used instead. One of them was Pluton, the rich one, the one who distributes wealth from below. Hades, as I mentioned, became Pluto later on in, in history. But Hades began as the hidden one. He was royal, possessive, strict, defensive, the supreme ruler of his realm, and wildly, extravagantly rich. He had a famous pet, Cerebus, who guarded one of the portals to the underworld. Cerebus was a three-headed dog with the body of a lion and the tail of a serpent who could see in every direction at once. And Hades was involved with an infamous relationship with Persephone, who happened to be his niece, Demeter's daughter, whom he stole while she was picking flowers in a field. And some stories say raped, abducted and raped, and tricked into eating a seed of the pomegranate fruit. So she would have to return to him. Anyone who ate the food of the underworld would have to return. Demeter was so upset that Hades stole her daughter that Zeus came in and bartered a compromise. Persephone would return to her mother, but not for the entire year. She would go back to the underworld where she ruled as queen and Hades' consort uh, for three months of the year. And that's the myth, the origin myth of winter. That's how winter came onto the land. And so if you put some of these threads together, we have warrior, defensive, attached to his partner Persephone, hidden, subterranean, protected by monsters, the bringer of winter, the distributor of wealth, which brings us to Scorpio. If there's one thing to remember when it comes to Scorpio, well, okay, two things. It's control and hidden. When the sun enters Scorpio, it's the last act of fall. We're not in the blazing glory of, of golden and russet leaves. This is when the leaves, at least in the northern hemisphere, have fallen. 
the trees for the most part are stripped. They are losing their plumage. You start to see their skeletons. Scorpio natives, they see the dark side of life. They're not afraid of what's putrid, of what's rotting, of the bone dance. They have an innate understanding, a sympathy with, or at least a fascination with, death, the taboo, and especially power. Power turns Scorpios on. And if they feel disempowered in any way, they are acutely and obsessively aware of it. They're also very aware of power dynamics among people. Shifting power, who holds the power, how to get the power. In some ways, Scorpio is one of the most misunderstood signs out there. They've been reduced into a small box that really focuses on sexuality. They become a cipher for humanity's baggage. But Scorpio is so much more than that. Some of the, the bright side is a loyalty, a loyalty almost to a fault for the people who they love and who they consider their own. And there is a deep, deep sensitivity which in the best of cases results in a kind of compassion for others that understands that people are flawed creatures, that they are fallen angels, that they struggle. Scorpio knows that the struggle is real. And one of the things that I have noted in my career as an astrologer is that Scorpios, all things considered, make incredible parents. They nurture not just the physical and emotional needs of their children, but their psychic and spiritual needs. One of the things that is undoubted, undoubtedly true about Scorpios is that they will go to extremes. The middle way is not always their way. They're, it's often called a ruthless sign because they will do whatever it takes to achieve their ends. If they have the power, they will do whatever it takes. And there's also something indomitable about Scorpios because they can fall down and not break. Or if they do break, Rather, this is, I think, a better way of putting it. When they do break, they reassemble and they come back stronger than before. They are one of the few signs, if not the only sign, that has three signifiers showing the sort of levels of spiritual evolution, if you will, uh, that a Scorpio goes through. The snake which is more the base level, the initiatory level, the eagle, and the phoenix, that mythic bird that rises from the ashes. 
And honestly, most Scorpios have a little bit of all three at the same time. Some of the other, you know, on the other hand, some of the other traits um, that Scorpios are known for and that the energy is known for is fixating. It can fixate on the negative. And sometimes to the, to the point where the negative is the only thing that's real. Right? They can lick their wounds, hold grudges. This is the still water piece um, for far too long to the point where they end up stinging. You know, their scorpion tail stings themselves. And then they can be possessive in love and in relationships and with what's theirs. Uh, Scorpio is very interested not in the material but um, what's underneath. They're very interested in merging that deep, deep connection with somebody. And they can excavate the past with a forensic eye. I've, I've honestly never seen anything like it, where they can go back into their trauma and understand how A led to B, led to C. And this sort of A, willing to face the wound, to enter the wound. Because the only way wounds can heal is if they're cleaned, right? They can't be ignored. That's what creates festering. But they can enter the wound, clean it out, excavate it, and then actually heal. Heal themselves and heal others. Scorpio is one of the most healing signs that I have ever encountered. And they understand that death is the ultimate cure for life. And so with the sun and Mercury ingressing into Scorpio this week, welcome to the dark side, right? The other side, the end of the cycle, the underworld, and where there's mysteries and secrets, and where the beauty is not shiny, fresh, and naive, right? Mercury in Scorpio has a special relationship to secrets. They love them. And that can be a very good thing. Secrets are empowering, or they can be. Secrets are something that's just for you. Mercury in Scorpio operates very much on a need-to-know basis. They're careful about how they withhold and how they, how they give information. When a Mercury in Scorpio is talking, it's very important to listen to what's not being said. And there's usually quite a bit of, of subtext there. Transparency is not their bag. What is, however, is dealing with complexity. Right? Mercury and Scorpio doesn't categorize with these broad, ham-fisted strokes. It can manage complexity, shades of gray, both and, paradox, and they know whenever they're hearing a story that there's always the part that's not 
being spoken. It's also a sign that is extraordinary at seeing behind the facade, tearing the veil, peering into the void. And as I mentioned earlier, there's a deep, deep compassion. If they are a healed Scorpio and they can extend the compassion to themselves, what they can extend towards others is just extraordinary. They understand that humans suffer and that they fail and that they grow old and that they die. And they're the ultimate detectives. And it's that persistence. It's that not being fooled easily. It's that looking and raking over the details that makes them such powerful detectives. So welcome to Scorpio season. I hope you're able to use this time for soulful activities. Find some treasures that are buried in your own subconscious and in your own past. Make sense of some thorny issues in your life. And start to excavate or go deeper in the excavation of your own wounds for the, for the healing of them. And for certain things, I hope that you're able to let them go, to release, to transform. We all have Scorpio as part of our soul fabric. Even if you don't have planets in the sign, it lives somewhere in your birth chart. For me, Scorpio is eighth house and then ninth house. I wonder where it is for you. Now, the next thing I want to talk about, moving on, is the earth trine between the benefics. This week starts with a really lovely trine between Jupiter in Taurus and Venus in Virgo. Now, it begins, the week begins with the trine at 12 degrees, but it perfected on Saturday. But it's still within the three degree range of influence until about mid-afternoon, around 2.30 on October 24th. So the window of opportunity for this uh, trine, the channel is opened from really from October 19th through the 24th. Now Venus at 12 degrees Virgo is very close to where Mercury was during the Grand Trine in Earth that occurred on September 23rd. Venus is taking Mercury's place. And so this can be a continuation of that storyline for you if you worked that trine. When I say work the trine, trines are... Trines facilitate uh, easy flow of energy, but they can also pass unnoticed, right? It's not like a square that pokes the bear or an opposition that's just facing you down. You can, you can completely ignore a trine and, and miss out. Uh, but with intention, trines make things easy. They make things smooth. 
And so here we have Venus ruling money, relationships, artistic endeavors, social contracts, manners. And Venus in Virgo is earth goddess energy, the meter energy. It's not flashy. It's not loud. It's sensual and nurturing. And Jupiter in Taurus Again, also earthy, very shrewd and wise about resources. So this energetic channel is kind of a practical magic. It invites wisdom and desire to unite. What you want chimes with what's good for your highest self. It's fecund, it's chill, it's pragmatic, and it's useful. Things in earth are useful. It's not theoretical. It is material, can be materially realized. The only caveat, and it's a small caveat, is that Jupiter is still retrograde, and retrograde planets can deliver, unsu- <laughs> deliver surprising results. Like they can be erratic. It can be hard to predict. That said, uh, this is a nice, nice way to start the week. I hope that it brings you uh, some whatever you want, whatever you want it to bring. Because the end of the week is not quite as nice. Um, So there's a partial lunar eclipse in Taurus on the 28th. And this is the end of the, this is the final chapter of the Taurus-Scorpio lunar story that began in November of 2021. Now, some of, for some of you, this may be a big nothing burger. Like, oh, so what? These, these eclipses have had minimal to no effect of my, on my life. And that's to be expected. You know, eclipses only resonate with, with folks who are within the eclipse degrees, either by planet or angle. So everybody has a different experience when it comes to eclipses, both solar and lunar. If you are somebody who this has been a meaningful um, journey for, this is the last stop. It's the final in this Scorpio-Taurus series for nine years. Um, And then it will return to about this degree uh, in about 18 and a half years. That's the Saro cycle that eclipses follow. Eclipses tend to really make the wheel of time visible in our lives. They can clear the decks for the next stage of development. And the idea with lunar eclipses is that they tend to bring things to an end. And since it is lunar, they can often be relationships, important relationships in your life that for whatever reason may now be coming to a close. But it's always to bring you to the next level, 
to make space in your life, in your heart, in your psyche for something new uh, to be planted. So the lunar eclipse happens on the 28th, and then a few hours later, there is a very intense opposition between Mercury, Mars, and the Sun in Scorpio and the Moon and Jupiter in Taurus with Uranus hanging out in Taurus as well. Not close to the eclipse degree, the, um, I'm sorry, the opposition degree, which is 11 degrees. I think Uranus is something like 21 degrees, but in the neighborhood. So this is a tough sky. Oppositions are of the nature of Saturn. They tend to bring about things, or they can bring about things that are regretful, that have a sense of loss around them, a sense of, of pain, restriction. And now I want to kind of talk about the players individually. Well, the individual dynamics, because it's honestly too much to take on mass. It's Mercury, Mars, Sun, Moon, Jupiter, Uranus. I mean, it's, it's, it's the kitchen sink. So with Moon, Jupiter, together in Taurus, the Moon is exalted in Taurus. This could actually be some very nice feelings, big feelings, but some very nice feelings. And were it not for the opposition, it probably would be. However, we have the moon meeting Jupiter, so this sense of inflated importance to whatever the moon is signifying here. And I think I, I should mention that in mundane astrology, the moon signifies people. And so moon Jupiter could be a lot of people. Psychological astrology, it's more your feelings, ancestors, your emotive and nurturing needs. So we have the moon exalted in Taurus. Opposite Mars in Scorpio, which is a very, very strong Mars. Moon opposite Mars, however, um, it's a signature of physical pain, pain on the body, accidents, bodily hurt. Moon opposite Mercury, the mind and the heart are at odds. One is not seeing the other clearly. Well, they might be seeing each other clearly, but it's a detente. It's a standoff. They're not working towards the same ends. So we have this moon opposite Mars and Mercury, and Mars and Mercury are exactly conjunct at 11 degrees Scorpio. Jupiter, opposite Mars, is a signature of big blow-ups, huge explosions, uh, volcanic, in fact. Jupiter, opposite Mercury, is a signature of self-righteousness, 
extremism in thought. Mercury conjunct Mars. Now we're looking at fighting, accidents, sometimes car accidents, Mercury uh, ruling transportation. But the thing about Mercury and Mars right now is that they are a mere six degrees away from the sun, which means they are still combust. Planets that are combust are deeply debilitated. They're working in the shadow. You can't really see them because they're overpowered. One of the things that this means is that covert aggression. And so with all of this going on, and then Uranus up there as well, there's this notion of, of it being unpredictable, sudden. Now this is a time every configuration you know, offers opportunities. This is an opportunity to practice restraint, to extend grace to others, even if you're feeling in a big way that that same grace is not being extended to you, to take the high road, to not be baited, and not get into lose-lose situations. This is the time that you want to be cool. Be cool and be safe. It starts really on the 23rd when Jupiter and Mars start to move into a three-degree orb of each other in opposition. So keep all of that in mind. And I hope you have a wonderful week that you really take advantage of the Jupiter-Venus trine at the beginning of the week. That Scorpio season is really deep for you. And that you just take it easy towards the end of the week because there's going to be a lot going on. Someone is going to want to be fighting somewhere and you don't have to be a part of it.